I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. It's that Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but I said Mr. Worldwide, and you already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Babu, you know that you can get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on negative to positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. If people feel a certain way about you, then, like, I don't know, like, just <laughs> don't be a dick. Welcome back for a brand new episode of Collider Ladies Night. I don't have to tell you why. I'm so pumped for this episode because look who's with me this time. I have Catherine Langford here. And Catherine, I can't congratulate you enough on everything you've done, but holy shit, spontaneous is something else. Hey! <laughs> I, I'm so pumped for this release right now, but Ladies Night goes back to the very, very beginning, and I was doing my reading, and I read that when you were younger, you had a multitude of interests, so I was wondering, what is the very first thing that made you say, I want to be that when I grow up? 
Oh my gosh. Um, well, you're right. I did. I did have a couple of things. I I was a swimmer. I really loved sport. I was also really nerdy as a kid. Um, but for me, music and drama were kind of like this, and they weren't necessarily things that I thought I could do. Um, but I just really loved them, and so I think it it took me probably until I was eighteen or nineteen to realize that oh, maybe I can do this or do want to do this. Um, but honestly, I, do, I don't know if there was a certain thing that made me realize that or whether it was just like realizing that there was nothing else in the world that I enjoyed more than kind of music and acting. Were there any specific uh, movie shows or artists that you were uh, really drawn to when you were younger that you find influencing the projects you gravitate towards now? I feel like everyone knows I'm a huge Gaga fan. I love Lady Gaga. She was a really inspiring force um, in me kind of growing up and feeling like I could do this. But I also really love, I mean, I love Kate Winslet. I I think she's incredible, uh, an indomitable force on screen and also just like such a cool woman. Um, And yeah, I probably have to say some, some Aussie actors as well, like Nicole Kidman, Kate Blanchett. Um, I got to work with Tony Collette on Knives Out, which was amazing. Um, (laughs) Uh, yeah, but I'd, pro- I'd probably say there are a handful of people like that who inspire me and, and other kind of musical artists who I just love. Like, I'm, I'm very into kind of 70s, so David Bowie and all of that I really love. Um, now that you bring up uh, being from Australia, I had uh, Yvonne Strahovski and Geraldine Viswanathan on the show, and we discussed a little bit about their experience making the move from Australia to Hollywood. So I was wondering, what was that experience like for you? Was it kind of, I don't know, was it difficult or scary to take the plunge and come over to the industry here? It was, I'll say it was a completely unconscious decision. Um, like I, it was, I, I, I said that I was going to university when I was 18 because I did a diploma of music theater and um, didn't get into drama school. And at the last minute I unenrolled, but I didn't have the heart to tell my parents. So I was working three jobs trying to earn money. And my idea was that, you know, maybe in a year or two, I'll, I'll have enough money to go over for pilot season. And um, I was just working that whole year. And at the end of the year, uh, these managers from the US came to me and gave me some auditions to test for and I got asked to test for network for both of them. So I kind of accidentally ended up in LA. Uh, Didn't make it any less scary. It was a very frightening kind of experience as like an 18 year old going off into, into another country for the first time, but it was also the only thing I wanted to do. So it just felt very like, kind of feels like a blur now, but yeah, just felt good, I guess. (laughs) Was there any particular thing that connected the dots between you and them and getting those opportunities? Had they seen a short film or something else you had worked on? No, no. They, um, they were coming to Australia to, I guess, scout or do a workshop or something like that. And my agents at the time um, were just like, hey, do you want to set up a meeting? And they just met me and basically just gave me two auditions, I guess, to test me out. And then... Um, yeah, I ended up being asked to fly over for both of them. So they were like, you're good. (laughs) Going back a little, this is something else that I read. And I always find it's good to talk about failure because you never know who out there might need to hear your story. And I was reading that you were actually rejected from a bunch of acting programs. And I want to know, how do you forge forward after that and not get dejected by it? Uh, Good question. Um, I think you're right. I think every failure, every failure that you have, although it may feel really shitty, 
um, it's something that propels you forward. And I'm really glad that drama school didn't take me when I auditioned because I wasn't ready. And not being ready and being rejected made me work harder to try and get it in the next time. And then the next time I just try harder. Um, but yeah, I, I auditioned for drama school when I was 17. And then was, when I was 18, I got called back. No, yeah, no. When I was six, I don't know, 17, 18, the end of being 18, I auditioned again. And that's the year that I got in. And I got in probably a couple of days before I was asked to go and test for network. But that's also the moment where I had auditioned for three years to try and get into drama school. And then I was being offered the opportunity to go and audition overseas for this thing. And I had to call the head of drama and say, look, I know I've tried to get in for three years, but I'm going to go do this. And then basically just took the risk and then didn't end up getting it. And that was, that was like the low, low point. But from that point is where I got my first job opportunity. And then from there, it kind of just, I don't know, I just kept auditioning. But that was, the, that was the low point and that was also the biggest learning curve. I, I'm a big believer that that learning curve is quite necessary and that things happen for a reason. So <laughs> another, another uh, very big thing that I think comes a lot of actors way early on in their career is figuring out how to find that balance between wanting to take every opportunity that comes your way, but then also picking and choosing the roles that are helping you carve the career path that you want for yourself. So what was it like when you were first starting out finding the balance there and also just, I don't know, finding more clarity in terms of like what roles and what career you wanted to pursue for yourself? I don't, it's real. I mean, I'm, I still feel like I am, I'm still really young and I feel like I have a lot to learn and a, and a lot to do and, and work with good people. So I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm like picky because I, at this moment in time, you know, I'm lucky not to be tethered to anything. Like I, I'm kind of able to like go and travel on a whim or, or do something on a whim, but I definitely, you know, I think I gravitate towards projects that resonate within me and that's kind of been my guide, but definitely more so when it comes to things like, endorsements like I remember after my first job on 13 reasons why there were moments where you know people come to you because you're new and they're trying to figure out who you are which is also hard because you have to figure out who you are um and they would say do you want to do this do you want to do that but I think that's that's the moment where it's important to try and have as much security and in the sense of self because if you don't know who you are then other people are going to make you what they want you to be so I think that was just important to try and stay grounded in what what felt right as best as I could. Speaking of all the incredible actors you've worked with over the course of your career so far, even though you're still so young, I still can't believe how many wonderful people you've worked with. But I'm sure you have your own process. They have their own process. If you had to name two people, one, someone whose process aligned with yours the most, and then someone else who did something completely different and kind of challenged you to accommodate to what they did, what two people would you pick? The series that I just did, Cursed, I worked with the fabulous and ever-talented and ever-gracious Gustav Skarsgård. Um, and we played a father-daughter dynamic. And it was really interesting because by the end of filming, he, he's even now he's probably one of my closest kind of uh, friends or people who I talk to the most. And we had a very similar kind of alignment in terms of our process, but also in terms of kind of how we think. Um, and to think about people who do things differently. I mean, it's hard because I feel like you do a lot of the prep work before and then you come to set and then you just kind of play. But 
definitely it was very inspiring to see. I mean, these are two of the people who like really stick out, like Daniel Craig on Knives Out with his accent, you know, he would be there before takes listening to a pre-recorded thing and then he'd get up and do it. And also um, Robert Downey Jr., he has a really amazing kind of process that's very organic to him. Um, and to be able to see that and to see both of them, you know, they're both very talented and very, I, I guess they know, they know what they need to do. And that's really inspiring to see because you go, oh, like I'm going to continue to learn a process that works for me and that works for whatever I need to do. Oh my, so many follow-up questions. Let's let's hit uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Avengers first because that's like another kind of bump in the road type of thing. So when all of that goes down, you get cast in this big franchise and then they have to cut your scene, you had already had a significant amount of experience. So are you able to tap into like the business end of your brain and tell yourself like, that's not my fault. That's just the way the industry works. Or is there disappointment there that needs to be managed and moved beyond? Honestly, like whatever's the best thing for the film, because at the end of the day, I'd rather have had the experience of being in a really good film than be in a film for the sake of being in it. Like if it doesn't work, like you don't want to be in something and then be the sore thumb that sticks out. Um, and I didn't feel that way at all. And, and the Russo brothers didn't feel that way at all. But, you know, we did this incredibly, this very like sentimental scene and something that was really beautiful and a gift to the fans, I think, um, which is why they, they had it included and then why they essentially released it is because for the fans who really love Marvel, like it was a nice little extra soft, soft little delectable thing for them to kind of digest. But, um, you know, with, with, it's a lot, it's very end of the movie and it, it didn't really make sense. And they texted me and I talked with other people and I was like, yeah, like, honestly, like whatever's the best thing for the film at the end of the day. Um, yeah, <laughs> I guess. Somehow I feel like you almost like got the best of both worlds. Like you're still part of it. You gave the fandom something that they really wanted and you know, you, you did the, the smart thing and you said whatever's best for the film. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I hope so. I'm, I, I'm glad the people who wanted to see it and really asked to see it got to see it. Um, and for me, yeah, to, I mean, to be on that kind of film, like the experiences, honestly, that's the number one takeaway is being able to do that. So now another one you brought up, Cursed. So I asked this question a lot because I find that being number one on the call sheet comes with a whole lot of responsibility, not just in terms of like you acting and you performing well, but also in terms of how someone can set the tone on set and create a positive environment. So with all of your previous experience, what was it like jumping onto such a significant project like that, being number one on the call sheet and I don't know, just trying to influence the people around you the best way possible? I have two minds of it. The first is the working brain, which is, it doesn't matter if you're number one or number 187, like your job is to go in and do the best that you can. And um, that didn't change at all. Like I still went in and, and tried and, you know, did the best that I could. Um, I think I, I mean, and, and to the second kind of looking at it from a bird's eye perspective, like, yeah, like to be what 22 and the lead of like this, like everyone being like the multi, whatever this, and this is Netflix, like the big thing. It, you kind of go, wow, like that's crazy. That must feel like a lot of pressure. But again, I, I mean, at least for me, like, I don't feel that. I think, it's important as an actor to, to do your work. And yeah, like maybe if you acknowledge that people, other people feel a certain way about you, then like, I don't know, like, just don't be a dick, like be nice. I, I think, I think with Chris especially is that everyone on that worked so incredibly hard, like the scope of 
cursed and doing something of a fantasy historical kind of genre with so much that goes into it everyone had to pull together as a family so you know I think I just tried to kind of stay positive and you acknowledge the people who who do good work around you and work together as a team um, because you're all just trying to make a good film so if everyone does their job and everyone works together then you're going to make the best thing that you can. Everyone should just adopt the mentality don't be a dick. <laughs> and then sets will always be a happy place <laughs> hopefully try <laughs> so i think i think this would be my third follow-up from what you said before and i would have hit all three titles knives out ryan johnson is hands down one of my favorite people out there so what is something that he did for you on set as an actor's director that made him stand out from other directors you've worked with ryan johnson is one of my favorites as well and he doesn't have an ego he just knows what he wants he allows freedom of creativity for all of the actors on set um and he's also just a very genuinely nice human being um so much love to ryan johnson and everything that he does um i i remember you know talking about kind of freedom and, and being a lovely human being he noticed that um, in between scenes that I was in that I would go behind the cameras and that I would watch um, what other people were doing and also the setups of different shots. And that that's something that I've kind of been doing more and more, I think, just because I really like it and I'm curious, like, how things work. But he saw that I was doing that, so he would almost always make sure that there was a place for me to be in between setups, like, next to him, behind him, to go and watch what was happening. And that, to me, like, was really, really special because... Again, he's an incredible director. He's also incredibly busy directing and doing everything. So to even think of having a place and just kind of letting me watch his work was really special. And um, yeah, a really great memory. As though I couldn't like him more than I already did. That makes me even happier. So wait, if you're super interested in the behind the scenes stuff and the setups, what was it like watching Steve Yedlin work? Because I, I can't process what goes through his brain. He's incredible. I love that you love Stevie. Yeah, they have such a kind of synonymous language. I think I was talking to him about how he made his own color palette or something. Like when when you set up a shot, so the camera can identify, it's like on your iPhone, if you click this here, it's probably quite bright. But then like, if you, if you click that, it will be dark and then the rest will be, yeah. So he, I think, told me about how he created his own palette and I just thought that was very cool. Um, but yeah, there was a really great atmosphere on set and not not too dissimilar to to actually spontaneous like Brian was also very freeing and fun and just like had his parameters of okay like let's get the job done but also I want this to be a creative space and I think when you can get the best of both worlds I mean that's just kiss what was it like working with Brian on this? Because this is, this is a pretty impressive directorial debut. And I feel like the fact that I could feel his confidence so much while I was watching the movie really speaks to how much he has to offer this industry. So can you feel that confidence in him when you're on set? Not in like a overconfidence presence kind of way, more so quiet confidence in the decisions that he makes and in the fact that he knows what he wants to do, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's so, it's almost unbelievable that this is his directorial debut, not to mention the fact that he's also written this. Um, but yeah, he just, he had such a vision and he really wanted to stick to that vision. And I think his conviction shows through on the film and you can see that even though, you know, we shot this in such a short period of time and there were all these massive stunts and effects, he he really believes in this and I think when you're able to see someone who believes in something and is, is so passionate behind it and also knows what he's doing, it's really easy to latch onto that 
and have trust and feel good to go forward with the story that's being told. What was it like reading that story on the page for the first time? Because so much of what makes this movie stand out, I mean, you have the effects, you have the cast chemistry, and just the unique tone and vibe to the movie. So can you pick up on all of that just in a script, or can you first feel that on set? You know, he's a very talented writer, and he has written some incredible pieces before, but this is the first time that he's been able to direct and kind of have more of a, I think, a hold over his vision. Um, but it, it, he, the way that he writes is very Duffield like it is very unique very specific um it has like these really witty kind of sick satirical moments um and also a dialogue that is very it just it to me when I read it it sounds like him um and I, I just think I think the, the Duffield flavor if you will is just a very unique one but we don't really know what that looks like or we haven't until maybe something like this has come out I still don't feel like we fully tapped into Brian Duffield's before um, potential. Um, and I really can't wait to see what he does next and all of the projects following that. Um, but yeah, I think, I think when I was reading this, I just remember kind of going through this wave of like bursting out loud in laughter and then crying and then like just having a really heartfelt moment, um, or being really like intellectually confused or challenged. And I think it's with that balance that, it, it gives such a different kind of wonderful journey and you get kind of that, that essential balance of the gory, the satirical, but then also the moments that really needed to be grounded and, and be real. They feel real. It's almost overwhelming how well the combination works between like the horror thrill of the movie, but also how deep and poignant it is. I just like, I don't know how I'm going to stop thinking about this, especially, especially right now. Is it kind of, I don't know, tripping you up that we're getting this movie in lockdown when there is a quarantine scenario in the movie and we don't know exactly how this condition spreads. There, there were just so many things that spoke to what we're going through right now. We've spoken about it at length. You know, we made it a couple of years ago and the world has changed a lot since then especially the given moment um so yeah I think it it hits very much closer to home than we thought but I think it still has that satire to it which gives it the essential kind of joy and levity that it needs there, there are certain ideas in it that I also think could be helpful for someone out there who's having a tough time processing this and kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel so I appreciated that quite a bit I have a feeling you're getting asked about this a lot, but I can't not ask because I'm endlessly fascinated by really good gore effects. That end of the industry just impresses me to no end. Given all of the, the blood involved in this movie, if you had to give any tips or tricks to another actor who was about to jump into a scenario like that for the first time, what would it be? Oh man, I don't know. Um... <laughs> don't have white hotel sheets. Uh, <laughs> Brian, Brian would like get covered in blood. He was adamant that he would be covered in blood if anyone else was covered in blood. And he was called up actually by one of our hotels and asked kind of these questions because his sheets would always be very bloody. Um, <laughs> that's it. I mean, I guess have a really good cleanup and as best as you can, just try not to breathe it in. Always close your mouth. Don't open your mouth. That's especially if it's a, if it's a cannon, I'd say. Oh. Sound, sounds like some reasonable tips there. I want to put up the spoiler alert very briefly for, for two questions in particular. So spoiler warning for anyone who hasn't seen Spontaneous, I highly recommend it. Go check it out. 
first, I wanted to know what it was like shooting the scene in the school where there were multiple explosions, because from the audience perspective, it's very frenetic and chaotic. So for you making that sequence, is it broken down enough that it feels very specific or can you feel the manic nature of it while you're filming? I think it's a bit of both. You know, we worked as best as we could to kind of break down the moments that we needed to. Um, and so you kind of focused on each moment, but at the end of the day, you're still, I mean, we were, we were basically doing that school scene for three days straight. So I'd probably say it was a very kind of terrorizing three days, but a good way to jump into a film like this. It, it, that came out so incredibly well. I'm still blown away by it all. But so the other question I had, and I know this kind of defeats the purpose of the end of the film, but if I were in your shoes, I feel like that itch to ask, I wouldn't have been able to ignore it. Did you ever ask Brian why this was happening to begin with? What caused it all? In the novel, it doesn't really necessarily come to a very clear reasoning. And in the film, we kind of carried that on. Um, and at the end of the day, you're kind of just like, eh, like it's still, it's, there is no rhyme and reason. And I think that pairs in kind of well with the end messaging of, of the film about life. You know, it's like sometimes things happen in life and there's not a reason and you've got to figure out a way just to push through it. And I think Mara said, she's like, what the fuck else can you do? And that's kind of, I think that's a really just a nice kind of way of summing it up and maybe also summing up the way that people are feeling now. It's like, the fuck else can you do? Yeah, I I really wouldn't have wanted the movie to end any other way because it very well reflects some of the struggle that I know I am experiencing right now. So we always like to end Ladies Night with some random questions, just some fun, silly stuff that usually just comes to the top of my mind at the moment. So let's go with what is something new and positive that you've discovered during lockdown, a new movie, a new hobby, anything at all? There have been so many there have been so, so many. Um, I actually started rewatching How I Met Your Mother because I hadn't seen it and Breaking Bad. Um, but I also, I also started to try and learn French and that's something that I've been trying to do. So maybe that's the fun, positive, but also nature. Actually, I will say nature. I've, I'm definitely taking a lot more walks, safe walks, obviously, when I can and appreciating the outside world a lot more. Walks and bike rides, that has been the key. Yeah. If you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, oh, um, ah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> All the thoughts, I don't know. That's, oh my gosh. It's so, well, actually, the other thing I wanted to say about positive things, I, I have started trying to learn to cook a little bit more and I do, I do make a nice like roast chicken vegetable mixture. Um, so maybe, maybe just something really simple like roast chicken or like a roast chicken situation. I think that's the healthiest answer I've ever got. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be tasty as hell. Don't like get me wrong. Like, <laughs> so what, what was your, what was your cooking level before lockdown? Were you able to cook lightly before and then just dig into it a little more seriously now? Well, Okay, so I my life's kind of been, I'd say like before before acting again, when I was living in Australia and had a base, I, I love to cook for my friends, like um, host, you know, like, like that's, I, I love to like love on other people and be a big mama of the group. But then when you start traveling, like ending up in hotel rooms, you don't have a kitchen. So I think my confidence probably went down. And so it's about getting the confidence back up. So I think my confidence has improved in cooking 
um, maybe in quarantine, but I'm the only one eating it. So like, <laughs> you have a better excuse to not know how to cook. I don't at all. So my last question, which has become a thing to end on, I, I, it's a deep one, but I love asking it. What is the biggest fear that you've had that you've actually managed to overcome? <sighs> Heavy. Um, I was going to say dying, but I don't know. I feel like that will change. Um, maybe, maybe cooking actually, maybe cooking for like other people and not, I don't know. I like to be good at things. And I mean, who doesn't like to be good at things though, but maybe, maybe cooking for other people, cooking for other people or driving, like driving, on the other side of the road, because in Australia you drive on one side of the road and then America is everywhere else and Europe's everywhere else. So maybe that cooking and driving. Those are, those are some sol- solid options there. I'm, I'm very impressed by both of them, especially as someone who can't cook. Catherine, I have to thank you so much for your time today. And again, huge congratulations to you and the whole team on Spontaneous. Again, for anybody out there, the movie is in select drive-ins October 2nd and also hits VOD on October 6th. And truly can't recommend it enough. So thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you. This has been fun. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide, and you already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Babu, you know that you can get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on Negative to Positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how our life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. Does anybody want breakfast? Guys, let's go. I'm leaving for McDonald's in five seconds. Why do you start with that? The Breakfast Stampede Meal. It's only at McDonald's, where there's a meal for every morning. And nothing says morning like a classic sausage McMuffin with egg. Right now, get this all-time favorite for just two bucks on the one, two, three dollar menu. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.